Welcome, welcome everybody. I'm your host, Jared Bowman, and this is another edition of Biblically Speaking, the podcast. With me as always is my co-host, Brian Tiberius Bear Summoner Screaming Eagle. He might have shot Liberty Valance, but not the sheriff or the deputy, Haynes. So we keep giving Brian more and more nicknames. Well, you should see my birth certificate. (laughs) We had to say this every once in a while. Brian's name is not actually Tiberius, so don't try to dox him on that. (laughs) But uh, we have a a running joke going. In fact, I think we're going to put it up as a poll one day, Brian. Should we officially change your name to Tiberius? It does kind of have that uh, ring to it, that authoritative ring. Yes. Yes, like uh, a starship captain, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it might be might might be better than your actual middle middle name, you know, Mahar Shahal Shahashbat. Yeah, you mispronounced it. Yeah, I oh, I was trying to get it out. Let's and, and that's of course it starts with a T. Yeah, indeed, Jared. We've never gotten your middle name, so that's a yeah I, a story we're working on. I'm the man with no name. <laughs> the man with no name, Jared. When was the last time you went out to the coast and uh, visited any of those little shops and stuff? You know, Lauren likes to do that quite often. We were down there a few weeks ago on a camping trip with quite a few people from, oh, you and Wendy were there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, walking around from shop to shop, uh, enjoying some good coffee, River Roasters, down on, river? down on I can't remember the name of the river that runs right out of there. Sislu. Sislu. Yeah, Sislu that runs right into the Pacific Ocean right there by the giant dunes. You sci-fi fans, that's the uh, place on the Oregon coast where Frank Herbert set and wrote Dune. But uh, why do you ask? Well, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, you go in those shops and one of the big uh, cultural things that they push in signs and T-shirts and things like that is wine, as in uh, fermented grape juice, Uh, that there's all sorts of cute little signs like it's wine o'clock somewhere. It's never too early for wine. Wine gets me through the day. Uh, I saw even coffee mugs that would say things like, this isn't coffee, this is really my wine substitute. And it's kind of, and it's meant to be cutesy and funny. And it's the implication is that wine is this terrific savior and friend to everybody. And I find that a little troubling. And by a little troubling, I mean a lot troubling. Because I think that it reflects some attitudes in our culture, and probably not just in our culture alone, but a lot of cultures about how we look at drinking alcoholic beverages. I was reading an an article this morning, and it was in preparation because we knew we were going to talk about this. In fact, if you don't know, this is the most asked for episode of Biblically Speaking, the podcast when we put up the poll a few weeks ago. In fact, we're going to do another another poll uh, suggestions um, here probably next week sometime. But this was the one that by and large most Christians wanted. Uh, I actually read some interesting data on this when it comes to Christians. That And this is, of course, you know, it's a poll, so it's dividing Catholic, Protestant. It doesn't, you know, denominate beyond that or or separate out the church from from denominations. But it said that uh, I think it was something like 60 uh, percent of Catholics believed that it was OK to drink. Thirty nine percent of Protestants did drink that the, the number uh, <clears throat> the numbers were actually probably not as dramatic as I was expecting. 41% of Protestants, uh, and that would include anything not Catholic, churchgoers say that they consume alcohol, but it was the the other number, 61% said they do not, but they believe that it's okay. 
And so that was kind of telling. And it was it was pretty different from from the the numbers in Catholicism, which were much higher. But it sort of sparks a little bit of a debate. I know it was a big debate when I was a child. You know, can Christians drink? The Bible condemns drunkenness. But but like you said, we live in a culture of drinking. I mean, every sporting event is brought to you by some alcohol. Some some beer company, some liquor company is going to have um, is going to have advertising rights. I remember going to an Astros game and there is I, I think it's Bud Light. Well, maybe not anymore because they really stepped in it this summer. <laughs> Bud Light being advertised all over the dome or not dome. <laughs> Man, I'm old. And dome was where they played 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, all over the the. Uh, Minute Maid Park, and then you would have Chick-fil-A sponsoring the foul poles. And so you'd have a Bud Light sign next to a Chick-fil-A sign, which is a little odd. You know? Kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah kind of a, a bit ironic, don't you think? Yeah, and, yeah. But we do live in a culture that that, that finds drinking funny. Um, yeah. that That's one of the things. I mean, have you noticed that in our culture? Yeah, also finds it sophisticated. Uh, so, for example, here in Oregon, you can get an Oregon license plate that's wine country, and it looks very sophisticated. And we have wine country tours and, you know, they're still illegal with drink and drive. Yeah. 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 Which is ironic. Right. Again, which is ironic. But, um, you know, but it is interesting that we we do live in a drinking culture. Now, now, Jared, what do you I think of the coffee, coffee, coffee culture? And that to me actually speaks more to Oregon than wine by far. So that's Californians yeah. moved up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and so, Jared, what do you think, though? Because sometimes people say, well, wait a second, drinking alcohol is good for you, you know? So very, first of all, whatever you think about it, uh, drinking alcohol is very good for you. You know, lots of doctors say it's good for you. Uh, how do we handle things like that? What do we say about that? Well, I, I don't know. I just see study after study, this particular study, one in 20 deaths. This is something I ran into this morning. One in 20 deaths around the world. Uh, result from harmful use of alcohol. So out of every 20 people that died, it may not have been the only factor, but a contributing factor was harmful use of alcohol. This could be people that drank themselves to death. This could be cirrhosis of the liver. This could be people that got blackout drunk and drove or, or tipsy and drove. This could be um, this could be somebody who drinks and tries to walk downstairs. Um, one, of, one of the one of the elders at the congregation the other day, not drunken, totally sober, fell downstairs and, and, and really hurt his shoulder. So, I mean, hard enough to walk downstairs when you're sober. But apparently adding alcohol to anything makes it a bit more difficult to do. So that that's kind of a scary number. The other thing that I, I was thinking about is it was that juxtaposition of funny versus sophisticated. I mean, how much of our comedy re- revolves around where the the... The inciting incident involves the main cast of a movie or television show being drunk, not remembering, and having some catastrophe come out of their drunkenness. And we're all sitting back laughing at that, and and people who do drink laugh harder because they'll say, "Oh, yeah, I, I've been there. Yeah, I've I've had right. those moments." So I, I think culturally we're aware that something maybe isn't good about this. I mean, this is yeah. this definitely going to be the episode where we lose listeners. Because, I mean, we're going against culture, Brian. But well, it, we need, it was about what the Bible actually says. But it, yeah, this is this is something really big. Um, you know, your your statistic, one in 20 deaths worldwide. Uh, in the United States, one in five uh, deaths uh, between the age of 20 and 49 is alcohol related. Wow, that's um, worse than Russian roulette. 
Yeah, it is. It is because that's one in six. So you know what's phenomenal about that is that if that was gun violence, we would we wouldn't joke about it. We wouldn't laugh about it. We wouldn't have it on T-shirts, uh, you know, uh, things like that. So there's a there's a tremendous disconnect in reality. Um, there's more studies that talk about the damage alcohol does to your body than there are the benefit of it. It uh, I'm looking at a study here that says one drink a day shrinks your brain. Uh, that uh, you know any moderate drinking uh, raises blood pressure. You know that uh, drinking of any kind of alcohol. Uh, causes damage to the brain. The uh, one study I'm looking at from uh, May 20th of 2021 says, I mean, there's no uh, real case to be made that there's a value to drinking alcohol. There's a tremendous case to be made that it's deadly. And yet, you know, as you said, we just live in a society that laughs about it. And this isn't about society. This is about Christianity, which is, you know, in opposition to society on many things. And this is one where we have to see the difference. So one thing I always think about here is I consider the idea that uh, when you walk through the Bible, you you find that alcohol has constantly this uh, weighty expression about it. Uh, let me throw some passages out of the Old Testament. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Um, you know, of course, the book of Proverbs wants us to grab a sense of wisdom and the significance of wisdom and Right away, it says, "Hey, uh, alcohol is is a is a crutch for the unwise." Um, Isaiah twenty eight and verse seven. Isaiah is criticizing Israel, and he says they've erred through wine and through drinking intoxicating drink. They're out uh, out of the way. The prophet and priest have erred through intoxicating drink. They're swallowed up by wine. They're uh, they're they're out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Um, Time and time again, God rebukes Israel over uh, over these things. Um, uh, Isaiah 5 and verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they follow intoxicating drink and continue to the night till wine inflames them. Yeah, that that was the one I was thinking of. Uh, you know, a, another one that we don't often uh, talk about because it's an Old Testament passage. I mean, many discussions when it comes to, to Christians end up with, you know, don't get drunk because Ephesians 5 says don't get drunk. And there's, there, it's more nuanced than that. It, it really is more nuanced than that. And I, and I'm gonna, I've got some things I want to talk about when we get over into the New Testament. But I was thinking about Proverbs chapter 23, where it says, "Who has sorrow? Who has contentions?" In verse 29, "Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed drink, do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly." At, at the last, it bites like the serpent and stings like the viper. Your eyes will see strange things. This is this is where we sort of get into the laughter of it all. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. I, I want you to remember verse 33 for later. And you will be like the one who lies down in the middle of the sea, who lies down on the middle of, on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake and when shall I seek another drink? This is, this is the... Um, the uh, the stumble bum. Do you remember the old stumble bums in the cartoons? The the kind of like uh, Wimpy and and Popeye. You know, I'll gladly you know for a hamburger to, you know, uh, gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today kind of thing. Yeah. You know that uh, the only it's with wine. That uh, it's like uh, man, I wish all my references weren't sixty years old or older than I am. But that's right. you know, Andy Griffith with Otis that would just come in and in 
stumble in and lock himself up in the jail because he knew he couldn't be out because he was drunk. So they gave him the key to jail kind of thing that it's always played for laughs that, but he, but Solomon is saying it's not really laughter they're going for. That's the way they perceive the world. So when you see a drunken person doing something very foolish or very stupid or life endangering, they're not really doing it for the laughs. They're doing it because that's how they perceive the world. And that gets into this idea of inebriation, lowering the ability to process things like risk, uh, process uh, social cues. I mean, man, on the other side of the Me Too movement and, and the discussion, which you know, Brian and I took a couple of weeks off because we were both involved in the Balancing the Christian Life Lectureship, which those recordings are about to come out in just a few weeks. If you haven't already signed up for those, I believe Kenny's going to have another sign up where you can actually get the recordings of the live event. Man, were they good. But I did one on toxic masculinity. And what's strange to me is post-toxic masculinity, most of the alcohol companies are are pivoting toward a more a, a more female empowering version of alcohol, where it used to be the male image of the woman, the women in the bikinis on the beach draped over the men. It's now girls out at night partying and things like that. They're trying to take away the the idea that the anything negative is associated. And I, you know, I can't say this word on YouTube, but uh but how how much of of uh, date non-consensual sex happens because of drunkenness? Right, and in the that's book a of Genesis twice. Uh, is there a, an incident like that uh, over alcohol? Yeah, bring him up, man. Yeah, so we got Noah and whatever happened with him and his son and his nakedness and his drunkenness, and then we have uh, uh, we have Lot and his daughters, and that circumstance being uh, something about drunkenness as well. Yeah. And today, that's something that our culture doesn't accept. It doesn't accept the excuse, whether it's drunk driving or whether it's non-consensual sexual activity. It doesn't accept the excuse that I was drunk. And yet we continue to promote this particular and we're trying to keep the conversation casual. We're not trying to 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 throw shade on anybody. But the idea that this is somehow making you more responsible or it's a lifestyle for elite people, if you will, mm-hmm. is really so far from the truth. And just looking at that is it's kind of hard to process how we got to this point where it's even a debate, at least for me, a debate among Christians. You know, you mentioned the health effects. One of the things I had to pull this up while you were talking, I was a little distracted there for a second because I wanted to be sure I got this right, but a study that was done last year, and it still needs some more work, but th- but it's one of probably 20 that have been done on the on this, that all of the supposed health benefits of drinking wine, the lowering of the blood pressure, that which they found that ac- alcohol actually raises your blood pressure, mm-hmm. the uh, lowering of, uh, destroying of, of free radicals by antioxidants, what's supposed to help break up clots and be good for heart health, you actually get the same benefits and more from drinking grape juice, red or particularly red or dark red, the purple grapes, than you do wine. That wine is actually taking away the alcohol. Shocker, because until 1950, alcohol killed the yeast. It was really killing the yeast that made it before it could become super alcoholic. And I'll talk about that in a second. But alcohol, actually, the more alcohol you have in there, the more it's actually killing the stuff that God put in the grapes to keep you healthy. So 
I mean, that shouldn't surprise us at all. What do we do when, when, when we have a wound? We disinfect it with alcohol because it kills everything, including your brain. Yes. I, I feel like this is a discussion that you're just kind of chomping at the bit, that you need to get a little passionate about this. You're wanting to say something. So what is burning in your heart, man? I can. I have seen, I have seen, and you've seen it too. I've seen alcohol destroy lives so often without any consequence to alcohol itself. And the idea that a person can say, I'm a child of God, I serve the God on high, and I'm okay with that is outrageous. Uh, that that I can say that I can delve into this, uh, whether we will kind of lifestyle, practice, however you want to say it, that I can participate in these things. And while these things are destroying lives and souls, it's just outrageous. This is this is a big deal. And um, the idea that, you know, as I said, we live in a culture <clears throat> that promotes it. And so many people are caught up in this, in this sense of it. it this is outrageous. It's outrageous that we, uh, that first and foremost, just from a commonsensical point, um, I, don't, I don't even have to be a Christian to know that alcohol is a bad idea. I can figure that out without being a Christian. I can walk through the Old Testament and see every time that alcohol is introduced that uh, that bad things happen, whether it's Nabal and his folly and his death or, uh, you know, the, the time and time again in the Old Testament, you know, uh, the, the concepts of, of alcohol are deadly. And we haven't even got to the New Testament yet. We haven't even got to the passages that are going to tell us again about this. So this is a big deal. And a Christian cannot be ambiguous about this. This, this is something that we... Uh, need to be informed on because we live in a society that promotes it every day. If you've got teenagers, they are in a place where they are being pushed to drink alcohol. You better be firm about it because you will lose your children to it. You will lose, yep. uh, we lose souls to this. And this is something serious. This is something that we need to take a stand about. We need to be firm about because we we live in a society that embraces alcohol as as though it's a god because think about it. It, it you know you we're wearing it on t-shirts we're putting it on cups we're proclaiming it in our everyday things as though this is ball and we're worshiping him or in some way this is what our our friends and neighbors are doing and that christians think well i can have a little bit of 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 ball and god too uh, is is ridiculous alcohol alcohol the very word uh words for alcohol spoke to ancient Roman gods, the god Liber, which we get uh, libation uh, from. Liber was the Roman god, Bacchus, the Roman god of drinking. You know, these were pagan gods that people to this day still worship. Uh, we cannot be ambiguous about this. Yeah, I was reading an article. <laughs> I, I'm the science, Brian's the passion guy on this one. I'm the science guy on this I was reading another article this morning and I was actually preparing for another episode I want to do. I hadn't even told you about this one. I want to do one on on avoiding infidelity and sort of the warning signs that Christians need to look for. So that because uh, I saw this a survey the other day that says 20 to 40 percent of men and 10 and, and this number is low because I've seen other studies that place this a lot higher. It's actually about parity. But their study came up with 10 to 25 percent of women will cheat and stating the numbers have increased in recent years. And in many cases, addiction. So this is this in alcohol, something that you can be addicted to causes or worsens the infidelity. 
Uh, in some cases, infidelity may even cause or worsen substance abuse or addiction in the other partner. So you were talking about, you know, sometimes the effects of drinking are not even on the drinker a few minutes ago. So here, here is an example of, of this idea of the, of the addiction being a corrupting force, uh, the drinking, the, the, the drunkenness, uh, the whole idea, Brian, that you can be a functioning alcoholic, you know, meaning that I can go off into society, that I can conduct my day, that I can drink throughout the day. And this is an extreme example, I know. And nobody will ever know it because I am, I am so good at drinking and I have, I have been a drunk for so long that nobody will ever suspect anything means that you are functionally walking around in a haze doing damage and you don't even know it. Yeah. And I know so many people, I, I've known Christians who, when it came out that, uh, that alcohol was destroying their marriage behind the scene, what they did was just chose to burn the marriage down in flames because they wouldn't give up the drink. And they wouldn't give up the wine. They wouldn't give up the beer. And, and you said something as I was thinking about this and how it relates to our culture and how our culture lies about this. One of the the big gateways, and you were talking about your children. If you you know you need to watch that your children aren't becoming immersed in a culture of drinking, isn't it strange? Strange, and I use strange tongue in cheek because it isn't strange at all. How almost every teen comedy is going to have that scene where the where in most teen comedies you shouldn't go see because they're rated R and they're terrible. But there's going to be some some pivotal scene where the main characters are all at some sort of house party and everybody is blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you couldn't even show. I mean, even uh, what was it, Spider-Man Homecoming a few years ago, that here is Spider-Man and Ned and they're at a party where kids are drinking. And it's obvious kids are drinking because kids are stumbling around. Things are getting knocked over and broken. And it's very obvious that there is drinking going on. And uh, years ago, you couldn't show alcoholic labels in those contexts. And now that that has been lifted, well, who's right there to, to supply the booze? Who's right there to make sure their product is seen in the light of cool teenagers having a fun time who are too young, according to the law of the land, to be drinking, having a good time, and this good time is brought to you by booze. Yeah, that's right. The social lubricant. Yeah. You know, the the whole thing is um, the geek does the target. girl, the the the, yeah. the the jock ends up, you know, in a compromising situation, whatever the the trope is, you know, alcohol is the rectifier of this situation. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, targeting kids. One thing that's always bothered me is you would walk into a store, a uh, grocery store, and a lot of times it's, it felt like we had to walk through the booze aisle. Oh, you know, um, there's at least some some nice things in Oregon, and one of them is that there's some restraint on certain kinds of alcohol here. But in places like in New Mexico, we would walk in the grocery store. You have to walk through the booze aisle, and 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 all the beer companies had blow-up uh, things hanging down from the ceiling and lots of fun <laughs> things, things that kids hone in on. In other words, it was he was almost certainly targeting children, you know. And uh, and one thing we have to think about is that that's that's where this goes. They are uh, who spo- they sponsor events that are 
family events, you know, they sponsor rodeos, car races, things, things that people bring their families to. You know, your cigarette companies cannot sponsor things anymore, but alcohol can. Which which one kills more? I mean, it's outrageous uh, that, that we live in a society that says, hey, uh, sorry, cigarette companies, uh, you know, because smoking can can cause cancer, you can't sponsor this. But alcohol, you can not only kill yourself, but you can kill everybody in your car. And we're OK with that. Um, boy, that just sets me on fire. I mean, you flash back to the 80s and I think it was around the same time frame when there was a national debate over whether or not they could put a cartoon camel on a cigarette pack because he appealed to children. You had a commercial for a beer with a skateboarding dog. Yeah, and skating frogs. I got to I, I got to tell you, the skateboarding dog was way more appealing to me than the cigarette smoking cartoon camel ever was. Absolutely, Mackenzie. Yeah, I, I mean, I can. I mean, we I, as a kid, I can remember laughing about that. I can remember my dad finally sitting us down and say, "You know, you. I know your friends at school have Spuds McKenzie T-shirts. You can't have one." Because it's advertising beer. And, you know, my little brain at the time didn't, you know, make the connection. What do you mean? It's a skateboarding dog, Dad. I mean, come on. Okay, but what do, what is he representing to the world? And and those kinds of, it's, it's deliberate. It's deliberate. Yes. They are yes. deliberately targeting an audience. They are deliberately targeting a customer base that is off limits to them because they want to build in they want to build it into the minds of a younger generation that you want this, you need this, that this needs to be part of your life. Because if they don't portray it that way, if they portrayed people stumbling around in the street and getting run over, that they portrayed the guy going the wrong way on the freeway, if they portrayed the guy that that fell asleep with the with the gas on in the house and and nearly killed his whole family, or if they portrayed the guy who was, who's going to you know, prison because of non-consensual sex and what that led to, then nobody would want it. And they deliberately have to start early, and they are doing that. You know, we reigned, they reigned in on Ronald McDonald because kids were eating unhealthy. I mean, you know, so you can't have Ronald McDonald anymore. Yes. They reigned in on sugary cereals. You can't have all the fun commercials that you used to have for sugary cereals, and you can't have... The, I, I think they sort of got around this for a while. They were trying to make them take the toys out of the sugar cereals, which was the only reason for buying Captain Crunch because it stuff tastes terrible. But, but the, you know, but sometimes it had a good toy in it. They, they said, you can't have that because you're causing kids to make unhealthy choices. Okay. Alcohol is an unhealthy choice. Only kids can't go and make that choice. And un, unlike sugary cereal where my parents could look at it and say mm, that's not all you're having for breakfast or no you're not having that for the fifth day in the row kind of thing they couldn't do that to me with drinking today if I wanted to go drink that because I'm an adult and I've made the decision for myself and I don't learn about the consequences or the consequences even if I do know about them are are portrayed as humorous or a joke or something to be laughed at or I can Snicker at that because my problem isn't that bad. Well, yes, it is. You may not know it, but it really is. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and again, we're just talking practical, worldly observations. We're just saying we're not even we haven't even we haven't even started in the New Testament yet. No, we uh, just hit a which few is, verses. 
Old Testament. Yeah, th- I mean, the New Testament's going to set on fire. Let's let's jump into that New Testament. We've already mentioned drunkenness as being something that's condemned repeatedly. Um, throw some passages at everybody: Romans chapter 13, 12, 13, 14, 1 Corinthians five, eleven, First Corinthians six, nine, and ten. Here, here's the one of many Galatians five. One of many passages of the New Testament that condemn drunkenness. That say drunkenness is a work of darkness, right? Um, I do like that idea in particular because I like to connect this. I mean, it, it sits up there with murder. It sits up there with, you know, fornication, um, drunkenness. Now, now, here's what's interesting, though. How do you define drunkenness? You know, in our legal society in, in the United States, there's a very simple definition of drunkenness uh, that most states have when you are impaired to the slightest degree. Now, what's interesting about that definition, um, I used to work in a prosecutorial office in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I recall a case, and this was many years ago, where we uh, we were involved in the prosecution of somebody for drunk driving. They had had one glass of wine, and uh, they had hit a, hit a pedestrian after that one glass of wine, and they were prosecuted for drunk driving. Why? Because the law standard is to the slightest degree uh, that you are impaired. And what's interesting about being impaired is that you don't know you're impaired. That's one of the ironies of, of that self-assessment. One of the the chief thing it does is take away your ability to determine that you're impaired. So ironically, um, the very first thing you lose is the ability to know whether or not you're impaired. So to the slightest degree, that it, let's let's just say that's the standard. Um, okay. Drunkenness is impaired to the slightest degree. A- at that point, we appreciate the idea that there are. Uh, that that's a pretty hefty standard that the Bible says is a work of darkness that I am. And, and by the way, um, can we pause for a second and just say out there, this, this would go with any intoxicant. This would go with, you know, why, why we condemn marijuana use, why we condemn drug use, uh, you know, that this idea of pursuit of intoxication for the sake of intoxication, you know, and, and uh, that that's the, that's the language that we're using here would apply to all of these things. So let's let's put a pin out there and say, oh, Phoebe, anti and the anti-intoxicant. Yes. <laughs> uh, alertness in a cup. That's right. Um, and, and the point is, though, that uh, that any of these would fall into this ca- category. Um, this idea that it's a it's a work of darkness is saying it's satanic. You know, um, let's, yeah, let's let's just use that word satanic. It's not inappropriate to use it. It, it, it comes can't... from the devil. It, it comes yeah. from, I mean, it is being manipulated by the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places in Ephesians 6. Well, don't you just love that passage? Um, I do. I yeah. do. Yeah, it, it, that, is a, that is a fantastic, uh, fantastic statement about that. So, so right off the top, we have this hefty hit on drunkenness, but that's not the only thing the Bible says about drinking. Um, which one of 1 Peter chapter 4? Oh, this passage is one of my favorite yeah, this this is a really important passage. Um, I tell you what, I'm just going to start reading in the beginning here in First Peter chapter four. And if you, you're a listener that has access to a Bible, this is worth reading along with if you want to. First uh, Peter chapter four: Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. All right. So Peter says, you know, Jesus died to change you, so change. He says that we should no longer, that he should no longer live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood 
of dissipation speaking evil of you. So here is this statement that Peter throws out there. He says, hey, we need to change. He says, if you're, if you're a Christian, you put on Christ. Jesus died to change you. So change. Don't, <clears throat> don't live that life he used to live. Now, what does he suggest here? What's interesting is that everything he suggests here kind of has a, 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 a tie-in to types of alcoholic consumption. Yes, drunkenness. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm just just backing you up. You're... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so drunkenness, revelry, drinking parties. Um, some people even see, though, that lewdness, lust, and abominable idolatry <clears throat> are things woven into drinking, that uh, there are things that are connected to this as well. Let's just focus on these three, though. Uh, drunkenness, we've already mentioned, the idea of being impaired, um, but revelries or drinking parties is is not the idea necessarily of drunkenness. It's the idea of entertaining oneself with alcohol. It's the idea of letting alcohol be my, my well, I said social lubricant earlier. Let's call it a social lubricant again, that alcohol becomes my social lubricant, so to speak. So here we have this language about drunkenness that really sets us up, uh, that, 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 that makes it very clear, not just drunkenness, Drinking parties, uh, carousing, some translations will say um, that these ideas uh, are caught themselves in the pursuit of alcohol for the sake of alcohol. Uh, that uh, the idea of drinking alcohol just uh, just for itself, here is Peter trying to describe all these different ways to say this is something that's um, that's destructive. And he uses a special word going on to this uh, as he talks about this. He'll call it dissipation. Um, debauchery, I see here in the ESV, is the word that's used, but this word dissipation well, that in chapter... The word orgies used. Yeah, go ahead. ESV. <laughs> and this is what's interesting about having a Bible dictionary, that a an orgy, we think of an orgy as being a sexual thing, but it's actually a revelry or a carousing. It's a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows. These are people just having a good time out drinking who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus and some other deity, and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence use generally a feast and drinking party. This is just being a fun drunk. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and, and I like the term of half-drunken in the sense that it's not somebody who's necessarily totally intoxicated, but but to that slightest degree impaired. You know, when, when you get down to uh, drinking parties, it, it is banqueting. It, it, it is... It's that uh, drunkenness is like blackout drunk. The 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 orgy or the revelries there is just going out and having is going out and partying, and the drinking parties is more like social drinking. Yeah, and so yeah. you you've got the spectrum covered there. But you you were talking about um, debauchery or dissipation. Yeah, dissipation. Uh, that word dissipation. You, you well, we use the word dissipation. Think of something like you, you have a cloud in the sky, and when the sun comes out, the cloud dissipates it. It it evaporates. It goes away. Um, Paul uses it. Peter used the word here, dissipation. I want to contrast that with the way that Paul uses it over in Ephesians chapter five. Well, there the apostle Paul is talking about uh, these things, and he says in verse eighteen, "Do not be." This is Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen. Do not be drunk with wine, when which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now think of this for a moment. Here's the idea of that cloud. You know, it's kind of neat that the Holy Spirit manifests himself as a cloud in the Old Testament several times, and maybe once or twice even in the New Testament. Um, that that alcohol is like the sun that 
dissipates. So spirituality cannot exist uh, in the presence of, in this case, you talk about drunkenness. Let's just go ahead and say that Peter said, though, that this comes to any of these drinking uh, phenomena, any of these drinking types, mm-hmm. that, that spirituality is destroyed by alcohol, by uh, alcoholic consumption in social. Now, let me be clear, clear to say we're saying in social settings, in drunkenness, in, uh, you know, the, you know, we're we're not saying that that alcohol itself uh, as itself is an unclean thing. We're saying that drinking in these circumstances is utterly ungodly and it is a dissipation of spirituality. It destroys spirituality. It, 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 it evaporates it like the sun evaporates a cloud. Um, this statement that Peter, that Paul is making here in Ephesians 5.19 is trying to draw us to this, that, that Peter is reinforcing that it just takes away our spirituality. Our, our ability to be spiritual in any way is utterly destroyed. You can see why the Bible will say something like elders and deacons. You guys can't touch it. You guys can't be around it. You know, it's it's such a deadly thing because it absolutely destroys your ability to uh, to be spiritual and make spiritual choices to fathers, to mothers, to, to you know, to uh, the spiritual choices we make every day are destroyed by alcohol. And that's an important statement. This isn't Brian saying this. This isn't Jared saying this. This is the Bible saying, hey, this destroys your ability to be spiritual. This is destroys your way uh, to to be the person that you need to be. I, I don't want to be the guy that goes all Greek on you here, but this is there, there's something a little more going on in in First Peter when it talks about about uh, drunkenness, and it's the word that it uses, and that is it is literally to make drunk. It's a it's actually a verb. That we we talk about it like a noun, but he's using it as that you can see here. It's a transitive form uh, to intoxicate. It means to intoxicate, to make drunk, to get drunk, to become intoxicated. So there's different different word forms going on there. But let me go back over to the Ephesians reference here. Let's see. Same word. Okay, this is using a more more root version of the word but you can see that it is again to intoxicate to make drunk to get drunk to become intoxicated but i want i want you to look at the root that it comes from here and that is the word literally doesn't mean blackout drunk it means tipsy that that's in our culture i'm starting to feel a buzz yeah yeah that's the word we use i i don't drink to get drunk i drink to get buzzed yeah yeah and and so you you look at that and we're thinking oh there there's a noun there so it's it's drunk don't get you know drunk don't get to the point of being a drunk that that in that's not how the word's being used it's being used as a progressive state that we need to stay away from now you you were talking about that word debauchery i think i may have may have messed you up by sharing my screen there i shared it a little too early but you were talking about debauchery and you were talking about the idea of dissipation. That's really a scary thing when you start looking into it. I, when I mentioned this the other day, one of our listeners got on and sent me a message and said, have you ever looked at the word dissipation in the Bible? It's scary. And there is a lot of connotation. In First Peter, it's associated with Satan and not Christ. It, that's kind of a scary thought. 
And it's a little bit like the the Proverbs that we read. It doesn't just affect you in the moment. The dissipation affects you in the next day so that you're living for that moment. You're, you're excusing the behavior that came before so that you can go engage in it again. And there's no, there's no consideration of the consequences there because the dissipation doesn't ever quite fade. And it's a scary thought. When you stop and think about it, but but go go ahead down that track. I've got a few things I want to say. Yeah. Dissipation. Yeah. So I want to. So, well, let me let me kind of follow up with what you're saying. You know, uh, we've said that alcohol and and drug use kind of are are the parallel uh, twin brothers in scripture. That they are yeah. both the things that bring about intoxication. But, and and know, just to remind people, we just saw that in a study that I was referencing about how how addiction to these things. And again, we're not talking about not necessarily not necessarily you know, the studies looking at addiction, but there are situations that come up with just drunkenness, not even an addict, where they damage their marriage in some kind of way. But go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say that in Scripture, a lot of times the, the words that are used for drug use, the word pharmakeia, is also the word for witchcraft. It's, it's the word for demonology, you know, this this idea of dealing with the occult, uh, that occult practices oftentimes were associated with drug use. Uh, and that's, that's true up, in, up into modern times, that uh, occult and, and drug use uh, tend to be tied very tightly together. But let's just think for a moment about the idea of the influence that we're under when we're intoxicated. You know, people don't get better when they get drunk. You're not your best person when you get drunk. You become somebody with lowered inhibitions that hurts other people, that says awful things, that does awful things, um, that that goes down this road. Uh, if there's not, you know, we, we teach and we believe that demonic possession was a first century thing. But we also would suggest that there is a demonic influence. And I have to believe that dissipation is absolutely a, a, a permission for demonic influence, satanic influence. That that you know we even use words like we call alcohol spirits. Why do we call it that? Because of you know because of that influence with demon rum. I mean we we, we talk about it like this it, when even the scriptures give us these hints that hey this stuff is demonic. Um, what we don't appreciate is that we're surrendering ourselves to an influence that is that is utterly horrible that seeks you know these are why these passages in the old testament say things like you know you're the person that seeks after these things you're you're under its control you look at how uh demoniacs acted in the first century people that were possessed by demons and mm -hmm. their behavior and you and i drive down through portland and we see people on the streets out there acting like they're out of their mind and it's drugs and alcohol that have put them in that position. And they're acting like people would act who were possessed by demons. And so I think that there's a connection here to say that there's something truly diabolical uh, in intoxication and the pursuit of these things that manifests itself, that you can see it. Um, I, I guess, you know, like I said, I'm stopping short. I'm not saying that, the, that demons take control of a person who's drunk. But I'm saying that there is something truly diabolical. And what, I'm, I'm, what's I'm, the case? I'll go a step further and say the devil really gets in the middle of the decision making when you're drunk. That's that. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. And here's the thing: if I had a practice that uh, I knew a demon could come in my house, you know, and tear things up, would I? Would I do that? You would think I would have the sense not to do it. You would think if I was a child of God, I particularly would have the sense not to do it. Yeah. Um, why? But alcohol is the door that lets these things in. I remember one time when uh, 
I had a brother in Christ who was, it doesn't say what kind of wine, you know, I even hate you phrasing it that way, Jesus created. But the assumption is that it was alcoholic because of the statement that the, uh, the master of the feast uh, gives to the bridegroom that everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, and that word drunk freely does mean become drunk, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. That the, the assumption is is that that the good wine is makes you drunk faster is is the assumption that we make with that. And that's actually not the case. It's just speaking of quality, that the word there is is callous, which means beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, the choice, the surpassing, the precious, the useful, the suitable, the commendable, the admirable that what that would be was wine from the first pressing, and it would likely be wine that tasted less like alcohol. That the stuff that had fermented for a couple of years, you'd bring that out later when the tongue was dulled and then people would start to get drunk. You don't bring out the good tasting stuff. And I love making this point in Bible class when you know the culture over there is that you make wine by stomping grapes with your feet. And the first wine tasted a whole lot less like feet than the second or third pressing where you're straining out the garbage at the bottom and it's here kind of saying, ah, leave, leave that cask, that wine flask for a few more years because that's foot wine. <laughs> we want to say that for a time when we're desperate. But the idea there is not that Jesus created something more alcoholic. That that's completely a, mis, a misuse and abuse of Scripture to say that. It is that Jesus created something that tasted more like it should. And even in an inebriated state, the guests were able to tell that what Jesus created wasn't like what they had just been drinking. And we do that a lot with passages. We bring these 21st century assumptions, like we were saying a while ago with the idea of drunk and drunkenness being, being, you know, don't get, you know, drunk, that we treat that like it's a noun when it's really a transitive verb, that it's, it's a, a state of progressive intoxication that we bring these 21st century thoughts and ideas to this. But one of the 21st century thoughts and ideas that we bring is exactly what constitutes a strong drink. And there are actually, this is something I found in a, in a study this morning, and I've known it for a while, but it says uh, we can roughly estimate that the upper limit, and this is the strongest they would have been able to create, is 8 to maybe 10% by volume alcohol. The person is that, uh, the reason is that for most of human history, all wine was fermented on wild yeast, which delivers an alcohol content of around 4%. Today, a low alcohol wine, <clears throat> this is, this is you know, the cheap low alcohol wine. I think it's what they call box wine. I don't know. I'm not a drinker. I don't drink, never have. But wine is considered anything that would have met the maximum level for biblical wine, about 10% alcohol by volume. The typical wine sold today ranges from 11.5% to upwards of 15%. The strongest wines have 17% to 23% alcohol by volume. So the strongest wine that's out there, that if you took a quarter of that bottle and drew a line, that much of it is alcohol. So it's not your imagination. Wine really has gotten boozier. Jennifer Frazier writes in Scientific American, in the past two decades, the maximum alcohol content of wine has crept up from 13%, in some cases northward of 17%, a side effect of growing popularity of wines with richer fruit flavors. I wish I could find the article, but it's it's one of those things that just kind of falls out of date. But 
but the uh, there was an article once that I read that biblical wine probably had about as much alcohol as orange juice did in the normal table wine setting, which is next to nothing. It's just the naturally occurring sugar that's in there. And the strong drink probably had between 4 and 6% alcohol, which is where your light beer starts today. And our culture went from using wild yeast to cultivated yeast to survive the fermenting process because the fermenting process kills off the yeast. That we went from using wild yeast to cultured yeast that was designed to make it even more intoxicating. There isn't anything in Jesus's day that was comparable to alcohol by volume to what you're what somebody is consuming if they consume a shot of whiskey or if they consume uh, a, a glass of wine or or even uh, a, a beer. There's just nothing comparable. I mean, you're talking about probably less than 1% by volume at table wine that's mixed with water, which is exactly what Jesus made. He turned water into wine. It's like the grapes came out of nowhere. You know, we assume that he's making 23% by volume. He He's miraculously following a recipe. That it seems like because he starts with water. If he didn't, if he didn't start with water, he could have had six completely empty containers and just made wine in them. But he actually starts with water. He's honoring the cultural tradition there, and we miss that. And what the guy, the master of the feast, is saying is, "This tastes like what should have been served first. He doesn't know. You can't discern alcohol by volume on taste. Well, I mean, you can if it's poorly made, I guess, because the alcohol taste will come out. But you can discern it based on the function of what it's doing. And so the what he's not commending the level of alcohol in the wine. He's commending the fact that this tastes like something that was grown this year versus the dregs that I've been serving for the last couple of hours because you were running out of wine. And that's, we need to be honest about what's being done in this miracle. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, we have, you know, and there's there's a lot more to consider here for the sake of time. We won't, um, other than to say, you know, there is a sense in the Old Testament where sometimes wine, alcoholic drink had a medicinal application. Uh, Proverbs 31 verse 6 is an example of that. But but I would say that's kind of like saying so do opiates. Um, does that mean it's okay today that I take a little bit of heroin to get me through every day? You know, that I take a little morphine for your leg amputation. Yeah. Exactly right. That I uh, that I like to basis. I I do or I do it socially. You know, me and my friends get together and we have a, a bit of morphine. Yeah, you know? social morphine. You would you would know there was something really wrong if I talked that way. You would say, Brian, that's that's me. awful. Yeah, one would hope. <laughs> but of course, you know, to be honest, Jared, we're living in a society that is open more and more open to drug use. So frankly. Maybe in a few years, people will wonder why we thought it was a non sequitur that uh, taking a little bit of opiate every day was a bad idea. Um, a terrible truth I to mean, that. Look at something crazy like fentanyl. Uh, and I don't know yeah. it falls yeah. on the scale, but you know, enough to cover your fingernail is somebody pointed out in an article I was reading the other day it's enough to poison an entire city's water supply and kill massive number of people. And going, yeah, I'll try a little bit of that. Yeah, right. You know how stupid yeah. that Why, is? Yeah. Well, I mean, and here's the whole point. You know, uh, uh, we have this nominal Old Testament reference about alcohol having that medicinal value. And today we have so much better things that there's no uh, there's no, there's no, no reason why somebody would say, well, I'm going to use alcohol for, you know, a medicinal purpose. Absolutely not. I mean, there's no medicinal value. I mean, it was a, you know, it had none of that. But that today 
uh, somebody would say that is akin to somebody saying, well, I'm going to, you know, I, I like to take this drug just for fun, you know, for pleasure, for, for relaxation. I mean, you would know somebody has a problem if they said that. So, you know, why is it we give alcohol the pass? There's something that Jesus says about this, and this is going back to dissipation, and it's in Luke 21, verse 34. He says, be on guard. And I'm going to put this on the screen. I hadn't been putting a lot on the screen so that people could see us talking about this. This is something that we're both very passionate about. I mean, you in particular are passionate about it. Having grown up in New Mexico it, with addiction or, and drinking seem to go hand in hand with poverty. And, and, th- and that's an important statement, Jared. Uh, the Old Testament ties drunkenness to poverty mm-hmm. for, you know, for cause and effect. Um, not, not that. Poverty causes drunkenness. Drunkenness leads to poverty. That uh, drunkenness, you, the Bible repeatedly says in the Old Testament, drunkenness universally leads to poverty. And, and this kind of speaks to your idea that 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 drinking isn't the only thing that causes dissipation, but it definitely does. This is Jesus talking in Luke 21, verse 34. It says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. He's talking about the return of the Lord. Um some people think he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and some people think he's talking about end times. It's kind of hard to 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 discern that for for in the short time that we have here. I know Matthew 24. He says, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness in the cares of this life, and the day come upon you suddenly like a trap, or it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times. So here here's what dissipation and drinking affect. Stay awake at all times. So it affects your alertness praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So you have you have here drunkenness is something that the devil is using to lower your alertness and, and, and to dissipate your thoughts about the return of Christ and to, to get you not to think about his return. We already looked at Ephesians. You mentioned in the qualifications of elders in, in Titus, if he is not accused of dissipation. I was trying to see how many times he, he referenced this, uh, references this, but right, right before he says above reproach, it, he says it again here. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe not accused of dissipation, which is, you know, we, the road to drunkenness and bad decision, you have addicted to wine there. So definitely not a drunkard. So you've got, you've got this dissipatory spirit that we saw over in Ephesians Five and over in First Peter four is sort of a scale. That there's a scale to the dissipation. That in fact Peter even talks about running to excess of dissipation. Well, he says here that the man of God is not supposed to have any dissipation. He's not supposed to find himself anywhere on that scale. He says the Gentiles are out there figuring out how to become more and more dissipated. That doesn't belong to Christ. Over in First Peter, here he says in Titus chapter one, the dissip- dissipation dissipatory behavior doesn't belong to the man who wants to who is claiming to be a man of God who wants to lead the people of God and then you have it connected here with this idea of addicted to wine or drinking wine uh, that's to be a drunkard and so he covers kind of the whole gambit of drinking and drunkenness in Titus and again it's a dissipatory behavior it's a behavior that that causes us to be unable to discern the will of Christ discern the message of the Holy Spirit, to discern the times and the seasons that we're living in, 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 in Luke chapter 21, 
And it's a time that doesn't belong to Jesus, according to 1 Peter 4. It belonged, that kind of behavior in the times that, that we thought that was fitting for our life, those, those seasons belong to Satan, not Jesus. That's exactly right. That's, that's so heavy to hit. I mean, it's such an important idea. Well, we're already in an hour, so... Um, and, and we've kind of covered this culturally. We've covered it scripturally. What's the takeaway? Do Christians drink? You know, it's uh, it, this is an important thing that we all want to consider. Um, we walk by faith, not and, and drinking is the opposite of that. You know, we've seen uh, we abstain from fleshly lust, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Uh, we see alcohol as eyes. Uh, both the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. We obey the law of Christ. We see many commands that Jesus has given us. And, and finally, we want other people to be saved. We don't want our influence damaged. We don't want to cause others to stumble. I think there's only one answer for us whenever it comes to where does a Christian stand with alcohol? And I think that that's an important conclusion that we need to reach if we're people that really love God and love his way. I agree. It's becoming popular to soften the stance on drinking, but you know, when you when our own culture says it's associated with sexual immorality, that you know, the one night stand is typically associated with drinking and things like that. When our own culture says it's associated with dangerous behavior, when our own culture says it's not fitting for children, but it entices children into it into the drinking. When our own culture understands that drunkenness and and the profession of godliness don't go together that they are incongruous with incongruent with one another, then if our culture understands that, then we should be able to understand that too. And it's not about how much you're drinking or where is drunk or one drop drunk. It's just dissipation is a scary thing. Dissipation means I'm not connected to the Spirit of God. Dissipation means I'm not looking for the return of the day of the Lord. Dissipation means I'm reveling in something that belongs to the season of darkness of my life and not the season of light. And dissipation is not something that Christians ever want to be engaged in. And wine and drinking parties, revelries, orgies, whatever word your, your translation of the Bible used in 1 Peter 4, those are those cover the, the gamut in terms of, of drunkenness, from being a blackout drunk to the partying drunk to the social drunk or social drinking. <clears throat> that those seasons don't belong to the Lord. They belong to Satan. And as Christians, we don't make room for Satan. That, that's the biblical stance. And yeah, we can talk about Jesus making wine at the wedding if you want to. We can talk about take a little wine for the stomach's sake. You can talk, and, and we can also go talk about the, you know, don't look at wine in Proverbs chapter 23 because the Bible says it all. And having the ability there to differentiate and say, okay, there's something different about the alcohol that takes the grape from being something that God approves of to something that is dissipatory and dangerous. If we're not mature enough to have that conversation, we're probably not mature enough to even be thinking about drinking anyway. I'll give you the last word, buddy. Uh, well, uh, I think we've said it all. Well, in that case, I guess it's time to bring this space shuttle in for a landing. This has been a fun episode. It was our most requested episode, and I'm going to put out another poll next week. Like I said, I've got one coming up on the Christian and the culture of sex. And we're going to talk about all of that next week, and I hope that you'll join us for that, that we want to answer the questions that are on your mind, but we want to do it from the Bible. 
So from all of us here at Biblically Speaking, our guest from my co-host, Brian, the man with the most middle name, Haynes, and me, your host, I want to say thank you for being here. Have a good day. God bless.